0: Good morning all. Good morning. If you want to turn to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter six. I'll continue from where we left off for the last few weeks. Ephesians chapter six, and just have that open before you. So we're doing a series on end times. This is the last part of it. There's been eleven parts, is it, before this one? So if this is your first time tuning in, you will need to go back to our website. And follow through that series. I strongly advise you to to do that. Jesus repeatedly, when talking about the end times, says two things. He says, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Repeatedly, we have that advice. And we need to do both. So we spent about nine weeks looking at what it is that we should watch for. And the scripture gives us lots of things to look for. Signs that the end is near. Signs in the political world. Signs ecologically, when you see the ice caps melt or whatever. Signs in astronomy. Signs in Israel, which is never off the front page of your newspaper. So God nudges His world every day, trying to tell us and and provoke us to thought and to turning to repentance, to being saved and to being ready for the last days. Signs indeed in the church. So we spent a long time on that. The last few weeks, we've just been looking at the pray element. Jesus says watch and pray and you know prayer as an end times believer which is what you are, prayer as an end times believer slightly different from the prayer of all previous generations. Subtle changes, pieces of advice that the Bible gives about the prayers of those that live in the last days and in fact like most things it's hard to see it but for a start it says that sin will abound in the last days. Now, I don't know about you, but as I look back over the generations, man, there has been some sinful times. I mean, think of Hitler or think of the Roman Empire. They were terrible times. But nonetheless, Scripture warns us, if you think that was bad, sin will abound in the last days. Therefore, if we're wise, we'll prepare for that, right? By keeping our armor on, etc., etc. The Apostle Paul Describes the world in the last days like a, a, a woman in labor. And he says the nearer the time comes to the end of the world, it's like the contractions increase. The, 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 the pain increases, becomes more regular. What pain? Well, in terms of the earth. Say, economic crisis. Where there would have been an economic crisis once a hundred years. Now maybe once fifty. Then once in twenty-five. The contractions increase, where there would have been a world war once in a hundred, then all of a sudden once in fifty, then once in twenty-five, you can know that the end is near. And earthquakes, indeed, earthquakes are increasing at an alarming rate. It's not just that we hear about them, they're actually statistically increasing. So these are things we pray about. A woman needs to get through labor, and the church is that woman. The church needs to go through these end times and pray for the stamina, the stability to do so. Paul warns us that the hearts of many will be turned away in the last days. The hearts of many, he says, will grow cold. In the book of Daniel, it warns us that we're going to become busy. He talks about increased knowledge and increased travel. You know, I reckon if we could go back even a hundred years, your great-grandfather would be staggered at how you fill your day he would probably say to you take it easy Wow so busy my oh my can the devil make inroads to a person who's too busy you see when you're busy you get tired and when you're tired you're vulnerable and it's the vulnerable ones that the devil seeks so be careful of busyness in the last days As knowledge increases and everything else spins us so fast, watch yourself. Make sure you, you know, take extra care to pray in the midst of all that busyness. And last Sunday night, we just looked at how sin has changed its manifestation subtly over the years and you need to keep your eye on the ball because it's the same old demons, the same old spirits, whether it's Baal or Molech or whatever, but it changes its form and you need to keep your eye on it. If any two things have impacted me more than anything over the last few weeks, if you ask what would I come out of this series with, it's this. An overwhelming awareness of your need and my need to evangelize. We need to evangelize in the last days. Remember what Peter said. God is being patient, holding back so that people might get saved. That's an awesome responsibility Upon us. Two things, evangelism and prayer. That we would pray like never before, like Paul has warned us to, and indeed Jesus repeatedly says to you as an end times believer watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. And he tells us what to pray into. So, in this last part, let's do exactly that. Let's reinforce our armor, let's pray intelligently, let's know what we're doing. Let's with intentionality start to pursue the rest of our lives as God has guided us to. You know, if you look at the Old Testament, it's full of battles. Some battles that God's people won, some battles that they lost. But war after war, it's all over the place. And typically the situation would go like this. When the leader says Joshua, when Joshua would seek God, God would give him tactics. When Joshua obeyed the tactics, what happened? Victory. When Joshua didn't seek God, what happened? Failure. Right? So the Old Testament shows us a battle strategy. Now, it's the same in the New. It's just that the warfare is no longer hand-to-hand combat. Now, the warfare for you and I is spiritual. And Paul, as we'll read in a moment, Paul tells us we fight not against principalities and, uh, sorry, flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers. In terms of praying as an end times believer, there's three parts that I want us to become very au fait with. Our personal lives, your personal prayer life. Don't answer out loud. How is it? How is it? And if we were to do an assessment of it, would it be recognizable as the prayer life of an end times believer? Would there be any content in there in relation to the list we've just looked at? Are you aware of the days in which you live? And does that actually impact your prayer? Because it must do. We need to know how to pray personally. We need to know how to pray as a church in the last days. And we certainly need to know how to pray for the nations. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Ephesians 6 and verse 10 very famous piece of scripture from Paul here finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers against authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, when's that? The last days. The armor of God had specific pertinence to end times believers. Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, when the Antichrist emerges, when the false prophet starts his European rule, right? Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So Paul gives us a bit of a breakdown there of how you should perceive your prayer life, how I should perceive my prayer life. Just tactics, that's all. Tactics for you to pray as an end times believer. What are those tactics? First thing he says is, put on the full armor of God. So easy just to skip over that small four-letter word there, full, put on the full armor. And the truth is, you see, you know Achilles' heel, remember Achilles? Riding out into battle. And there was one small weakness. He had his full suit of armor, but one small weakness. And what did the devil or what did the enemy manipulate? That small weakness. And so it is with you or with I. Do you know what, friends? Years ago... I was playing badminton with a friend of mine and he was pretty good at it except he had one weakness. He wasn't ambidextrous. He couldn't do a backhand and he was determined to beat me. Now I hadn't really played badminton much but I got on the court and I was playing away and I very soon discovered man you have one weakness. He had to change hands. (laughs) You can't play like that. He had to change hands if I went on, I can't remember the, the, his left, his right-hand side. I thought I can get him anytime time I want. And so it was easy. i give him an easy time, you know, let him build up a few points, and then just whack, whack, whack. I can get you any time I want. You may feel secure, but actually you've got a weakness. Only one, but I only need one. I only need one. One thing can pull an entire life down. All through the book of Proverbs. The fly that spoils the ointment and on and on it goes. You know, one weakness in our lives, it can seem so serious, so, you know, stressful when you read the Bible and you you hear these high demands of such sanctification that God calls us to, but he calls us to it for good reason. For good reason. Don't leave any door open. Don't leave any window open. Because the window that you leave open is the one the enemy comes through. And you may say, well, it's only my little weakness. It's only this one little thing. And aren't I good in every other way? You can pay a very high price for any toleration of an Achilles heel in your life. All right? So, Paul. Right off the bat, first verse there, chapter, uh, chapter 10, uh, sorry, verse 10. Finally, he says, make sure that you put on the full armor of God. It's a tactic, by the way. That's what it is. It's a simple tactic. Secondly, he says, you better know what each item of this armor does. And in my experience, you can do a study on the armor of God with people who have been saved for 30 years. And, you know, often you will find they don't have a clue about what the actual armor is, just maybe Sunday school type, you know, memories, a distant memory, but this is a very practical thing, and that scripture tells me that the day of evil is coming, and I best know my armor. Like a soldier knows his equipment, I had best know the armor I've got. I've got to understand the helmet. I've got to know how to wear those shoes of peace, which we did in our last message, actually. I've got to know what the belt of truth is. I've got to know what the sword of the Spirit is, which is the Word of God. Right? This is not the sword of the Spirit. The Scripture says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is not it. What is this? This is the belt of truth. Right? So the Word of God, he's talking about the belt of truth right here, the Bible. But when he talks about the sword of the Spirit, what's he talking about? The Word, prophetically, the Word drawn... The, the, the Rima coming out of the Logos. So make sure you have the belt of truth for any battle. Oh, but by the way, the Logos alone, is not. It, it, you need more than that. You also need the sword of the Spirit, which is the prophetic word of God. In any situation you find yourself in. And Paul warns you, end times believer, know the armor. And understand the operation of each and every part because you need it. It's essential. It's crucial. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers. So we need to to, to look at it with, with great depth and understand my helmet. I need to understand my shoes of peace if I'm ever going to be effective in evangelism. I need to understand the belt of truth that holds everything together. I need to understand the sword of the Spirit, that Prophetic word to deal with any situation, right? I need to understand the shield of faith. And just in conversation with many Christians, you can tell they don't understand the shield of faith. You know, your words give power. If you speak negatively about yourself, or you speak negative, words carry power, right? And whatever I'm confessing, I'm speaking power into. I'm giving it the right to manifest in my life. So if I go around, for example, saying, oh, I'm such a depressed person. I'm giving that power. I'm putting faith in that. I'm speaking it. I'm giving it power to manifest in my life. There's your shield of faith. There's good faith, bad faith, negative faith, positive faith. The shield of faith is when I confess the word of God like we're doing here on Friday. When I speak out what I know the Bible says. Amen? I'm walking that and I'm sheltered by that faith that God has put in me. Not negative faith, but positive faith. So Paul gives us very good advice. Is there a weakness in your life? You best shut that door. Because that's an Achilles heel. And you know the devil? He only needs one way in. So be careful. Take up the whole armor of your God. He tells us to, to know the, the whole of the armor and understand the function of each item because you're going to need it all. And then thirdly, the ringleader principle. And I think this is a crucial. Matthew chapter 12. Take a look at this. This is probably the best scripture in the Bible in terms of knowing how to, to actually rule your life through God's power and not to be dominated by devils. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 29. Look at this. This is Jesus talking. Matthew twelve twenty nine. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions? He's talking about the rapture. He's talking about the last days. He's going to come to the earth. He's going to carry off the devil's possession, the church. He's going to save the church and bring us out of the earth. Or again, how can anybody enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up that strong man? Then he can rob his house. Very simple but extremely (laughs) profound. Most Christian lives struggle under something. Something. Some issue. And what Jesus is teaching here, we'll call it the ringleader principle. We moved into an area in in Dublin City called Inchicore, And we were going to open up a drop-in centre there. It was a tough city, a tough area. People were even afraid to walk through that area, never mind live there. It was very tough. But I had a word from God one day, walking past a shop, you know. And God said, take a lease on this premises. And we did. And we opened up a a drop-in center there. And it was tough. There were many ringleaders in that area. And when we started to open our doors and put our signs up, man, we had to deal with this gang and that gang. And everything was okay. However there was a couple of ringleaders, a couple of daddies, shall we call them, (laughs) who used to pass through the area. And I noticed how they had authority over just about everybody. Only a couple of young lads, about 20 or so, but very tough. And they, I knew, sooner or later, there will be a confrontation between me (laughs) and you two. Sooner or later. You know, they dominated, you see. It was their area. No one can Take a strong man's uh, can take over a strong man's house unless he first binds him. And I'm in that area to bring out the lost. But there's a strong man, two of them. And day after day, they would walk and I would see them. And I'm, to be honest with you, I was a little bit frightened. And one day, I was crossing the road and I thought, oh no, they're behind me. And they were about 10, 15 paces behind me. One of them had a can of beer, you know, the other one had a box of matches and they threw the box of matches and it just whacked my ear. And you know what I did? I had a split second to think and I just thought about it. I'm not advising you to do this. Don't try it at home. I turned and I screamed at the top of my voice and ran at them. It was the last thing on earth they expected. The beer can went up in the air and they, they just bolted, you know, and they were thinking, what on earth is he? You know, what's wrong with him? It was several days, but before I saw them again, and they were coming towards me, and I saw them in the distance, do you know what they did? Cross the street. Don't blame them. Eh? Cross the street!" And as they were walking by, I looked like a politician here called Jerry Adams. you know they were saying, "Jerry!" "Hello!" has gone "Hello," And they're saying, "You stay there. We stay here, Jerry. No problem. In every arena of your life there will be bullies in the places where you live maybe even in your own home in your family maybe your own children try to bully you dad or mom there's bullies everywhere and Jesus is basically telling us if you let the bully rule you they will rule your whole life there's no fruit in a life like that I worked in a mental hospital for about 10 years the last five I worked on a locked ward for violent men. The most secure unit for violent men in Britain is called Rampton, Rampton Hospital. And there was an inmate there who was being downgraded. And they let him go from that hospital and they sent him to us. And on the day that he arrived, he walked into his ward and he said to one of the other patients, who's the daddy? And he said, and he meant of all the Residents in the hospital. Who's the boss? There's always a boss. I knew who the boss was and the, the resident told him. It's so and so, I won't mention his name, on such and such a ward. Okay. He walks, he's only been in the hospital, hasn't even unpacked. It was a half an hour, it was 30 minutes. Right? He goes over to the ward. Could I speak to? Yes, no problem. Come here. Broke his arm. Walked up to the charge nurse. I'm the daddy now. You can take me. He knew he'd be locked up in a padded cell, which he was. He knew the system. All I'm saying, friends, a mentally ill man knows the system. He knows the system so well. But many Christians live in blindness to it. Of course there's a daddy. Of course there is. Jesus said the devil is the prince of this world. And he rules and that's why you see such mayhem out there. Now we have the king of kings. Amen. I'll come to that in a moment. We have authority over these things. But don't be fooled. It's a very fallen world into which we can, you know, gain and glean and bring out fruit. But there's ways in which we must do that. And there they are. Firstly, put on the whole armor of God. Make sure that you yourself are protected or you'll get shot in your Achilles heel. Know what each part of the armor does because you're going to need it. Sooner or later, you're going to need that part of the armor. Thirdly, the ringleader principle. Crucial, I think. I'm I'm, I'm fed up of seeing Christians. Do you know what? Listen, please, listen really carefully. Do you know what's a subtle thing? A born-again believer who's subject to stupid things. A Christian who's been saved for years, but still negative. A Christian, say, saved for 20 years and still smoking? What? didn't you sort that out yet? Haven't you actually? What's the problem? How is it that believers can so often be mastered, dominated by silly little things? And in other ways, they can be powerful, they can be spirit-filled, they can witness or do whatever, but you know that they're conquered by something insignificant, something stupid. Why is that? It's this principle, that's why. If you look at any school playground, you will see it in operation. You will often see a little boy. Small issue. Go to a bigger boy with a stick. And the little boy will poke him, smack him, and the bigger boy won't fight back. And you think, Go on, hit him back. <laughs> sort man, What's wrong? Why don't you hit the little eye? Why, why don't you stop that? Take this. No. But if you look more closely, you'll see that the little boy will go back to his... Equal size friends. He's got friends. And you see, if this person never deals with the ringleader, never deals with the daddy, then then you're subject to every little squirt in the playground, right? You see, it's the same principle. Why is it that Christians can be subject to such stupid things in their lives? Things that you know they should conquer? Answer? Didn't listen to Jesus. Never took out the ringleader. And Jesus doesn't make that mistake. And we're warned about that. No one can enter a strong man's house and carry his possessions. That's living a life in all its fullness. Unless he first deals with the strong man. And every life will have its daddy. Right? Every life will have that area that will try and gain control over you. And you must master it. Genesis chapter 2, is it? You know, sin is crouching at your door and you must master it. So the first area we gain control in is our own lives. Important to start there. The second area we gain control in is as a a church here collectively together. And don't underestimate that. I was sharing with several of you this week. I, I see this, you see. If people who neglect to gather together eventually get hit. Maybe not first year, maybe not the second year. And I say, come on, you've got to gather together to pray. And some believers think they know better. I'm fine, I pray at home. I know you do, so do I. But I can't survive without the collective prayer. It does a different job. And you might get away with it for one year or two years or three or four. But sooner or later, you're going to get hit. Because you need the collective prayer. One can put a 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000. There's issues you bring here that will not be answered in another place. One person came to me recently praying about an issue for something like 10 years or more. I was saying, did you ever bring it to the church? Oh, no. <laughs> well, I'm not surprised you haven't got an answer. Basic principle. You're not going to deal with that issue on your own. You need to get in here, pick up the mic and tell the church. And together we pray for it. So personal victory is important. But then after that personal victory, when you've got your armor on, then the church that you're in, we enter into this fight here. Now Paul says we don't fight against flesh and blood. He gives us a description here and in other places of the spiritual realm. And you need to become acquainted with this spiritual realm. In our kingdom, Jesus Christ is Lord. But in the kingdom of darkness... Who rules that? Satan. Now, Satan, remember, is an angel, right? A powerful being, an angel. Satan is a fallen angel, but still an angel. In other words, with the power of that angel, it was never taken from him in that regard. Defeated by Christ, I know. But it's important as you look at the scriptures. It says even when the archangel Michael came face to face with uh, Satan, right, what did he do? He called on the Lord. Why? Why? Well, two equal powers, that's why. Two angels, you see. You see, he needed the Lord to fight on his behalf there. And we need to understand these things. In the kingdom of darkness, yes, Satan rules. And beneath him, there are what Paul calls principalities or princes. Principalities in the uh, the, the top line. In the book of Daniel, it talks about the prince of Persia. Now, you're not going to get somebody walking into you and say, I think I've got a principality inside me, you know. (laughs) Principalities do what? They rule regions. They rule areas of the earth. Like Iraq. Right? Like Afghanistan. There's some pretty obvious principalities. These are not so much in people. These are spirits that rule over whole areas. So Satan. Then we have principalities that work in regions. Beneath that you've got rulers and powers. Right? What do the rulers and powers do? Well, they work in those areas work and and carry out their evil schemes within localities, countries. And then beneath that, you've got demons. What do demons do? Well, demons possess people. That's what demons do. Satan, principalities and powers, and then you get down to the actual man on the street. And then we're talking about demons. And the Bible talks about spirits, different thing. What do spirits do? Well, when you find someone who's possessed with a demon, if you've ever been experienced that, you will find all the time that it's not just one thing. Someone will have a demon, but there will be many other issues in their lives. Spirits. Always go in bunches. Spirits that aggravate, torment, and add pain to pain in lives. You see? So, Paul says, get your armor on." every part of it, understand it, and then start to understand the principalities, the powers, the rulers, and as you address these things, you better do them correctly. You better do them in the right place, right? I had a couple ring me once and they weren't very mature. They rang me up and they, hadn't, they, were, they were saved for a while, but they'd never grown extremely immature and the the, the husband said I'm going home with my wife and we're going to address Satan we're going to bind him we're going to do this that and the other and I said you know what I don't want you to do that and he sort of scoffed me off some pastor telling me not to pray a few hours go by and I get a phone call can you come immediately and we go to that house well I said it's a mess I said what happened he said, I didn't. I thought you were wrong when you told me to, not, not, not to pray to Satan at home on my own. It's something we do as a church, you know. And in his case, that was the right thing. He said, what we did, we came in here. I started to bind Satan and my wife had a fit. An epileptic fit. She's never had a fit in her life. I got down to help her and somehow I vomited all over the floor. I don't know what happened to me. And then I rang you. So you should have listened to my advice. You need to know about prayer. And you need to know about what you're addressing and understand yourself, understand the kingdom of darkness and understand how you operate in that. There are principalities, powers, rulers, demons, spirits and there's a very good example in the Bible of a prophet called Elijah who did the same as that couple I've just mentioned. Made the same mistake. He was dealing with demons, the prophets of Baal and he was seeing great success Bound them all. He was probably, you know, happy as Larry, thinking that was great. But the trouble was, Baal came from Jezebel, right? She brought it into Israel. And who was the ruler over the prophets of Baal? Jezebel. Jezebel. And whilst Elijah could happily move at the demonic level, as soon as a word came from Jezebel, what happened to him? Down he went. Uh oh. Not good, Elijah. Didn't have your shield of faith up. More faith in Jezebel's words than God's protective word. Problem, Elijah. And do you know know what the bottom line is? Please listen. Elijah turned to God and he said, I'm the only one. (laughs) And that's your problem, Elijah. You see, God said, I've reserved 7,000 who have not yet bowed the knee to Baal. In other words, Elijah wasn't in the prayer meeting. Do you get it? Elijah was trying to take this on on his own. And God was saying, you should have got company. I've got seven thousand who have not yet bowed the knees to Baal. And you should have them around you. But you get this idea that you're this martyr. Oh, I'm on my own, Lord. No, you're not. And the lesson from the prophets of Baal, you see, is yes, Elijah, you can do certain things with demons and you may drive them out. But when you start to function at higher levels, get in the company of the saints. And you would have been fine. But he didn't do that. So he was defeated. Now, I don't know if some of you have been involved in deliverance ministry. It's a very interesting ministry. And I've seen the differences in many different times. I've, I've addressed spirits. I've addressed demons. I've confronted angels. And I know the difference. This one guy rang me up and he said, I'm manifesting, demonically manifesting. I need help and I need it now. I said, okay, come, come straight away. Come now. Strike. while well, the hot, you know. I thought he's ready. He's willing. Come to my place. And he did. I sat him down. I said, tell me what's wrong. I said, oh, I've got a demon man. Well, he didn't. I believe it was a spirit, an evil spirit. I Because yeah, he had a psychiatric background, this guy. So I listened to him. I said, okay, stand up. And I looked at him. I went to pray for him. And boop, he was sick all over my floor. <laughs> it was rotten as well. It was awful. No. Easy. Very easy. Come out. Didn't even open my mouth, actually. I was just going with him. But out. Gone. Spirit. And you can start to think, oh, bring on the next one. I'm invincible, you know. Start to get a little bit confused or presumptuous about what you're doing. Another lady, actually, she really definitely had a demon. And many times we worked with her, but one night she decided she wanted liberation. And she asked for prayer. We asked her to stand up and it was all night prayer meeting. But it didn't come out immediately and collectively we prayed and we prayed and boom, she was free. Set free. That demon, it was a great experience actually to to witness that. She was free. That's a spirit delivered? No problem. That was a demon delivered. It was okay. And then in came what I believe was an angel actually, or at least the superior power over this guy. Was a, a, a fallen spirit of very high rank. This guy came in. Actually, he rang me up. He said, I want to meet you. I want to talk to you. And we're having some problems. I met him in a hotel. And this is what happened. I was looking at him and his girlfriend across the table. And water appeared. Water. I mean water, guys. I'm not mad. Water appeared. Water manifested between me and them. And I thought, oh my God, I can see that. I know I can. I know I can. I can. (laughs) So I didn't say anything. But there's water coming, like around their eyes and moving in front of me. I said nothing. I said, just go back. You go back to church. We're having a big meeting that night. A few hours go by. I hadn't seen Jeanette. But those guys went to the church and they met her. And I'm walking in and Jeanette says, I need to talk to you straight away. I said, What's up? She said, I just met this couple and I just saw water. Ha, I'm not mad. Praise the Lord. (laughs) She saw precisely the same thing that I saw. Now I, call, I, I that guy was coming in actually on this Sunday. I said I want to talk to you Sunday morning. I said you ask for help, and all I can tell you is that whatever problem you've got, it concerns water. And then he spat it out, not literally. He said, and "Then he said, <laughs> <laughs> then he said, what I did was, I signed my life over through a wizard years ago to a water angel. I gave my life to a water angel." I had to sign it off and they gave me a name and that became my name. It was an angel. We couldn't deal with it. Do you know, we contacted a guy called Pastor Kenyaki from Africa, expert in deliverance. Even on CNN News he was, just cons- a consultant about deliverance. He had delivered so many people. We brought him into Dublin because they didn't want this in our church. So Kenyaki, we go into a room. He does everything with that guy. We couldn't get him free. I want you to understand there's a difference between spirits, demons, and when that angel come in, I'm getting help. I'm getting people around me. I'm not going to do an Elijah and deal with that on my own. That's just stupid. So we'll do different things, different levels, different devils, different levels, different needs on my part, not to be foolish. That's what the fivefold is there for. So, but Kenyaki couldn't actually set that guy free, whether it was a lack of cooperation in him, and basically what he said to me, we've encountered many people just like this and there's only one way you're going to get freedom. And that is if he commits, you fast and pray and you commit as a church and you like, get a room like this and you stay in there and you pray, 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 pray and don't stop. Day and night, day and night, have a rota system. Uh, the guy would never have agreed to that. He was hard enough to get him to come to that place. But that's what it would have taken and he was explaining from experience. Just what it would have taken to do that. I just want you to understand. Paul is trying to communicate to you. These are serious issues. We fight not against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities, powers, rulers. And they all take different ways of dealing with. Just open your eyes and take a look at the cities around the world. You go to Philadelphia. And there's gay men everywhere. Everywhere. What's that? Principality. A principality dominating an area. You go to Singapore. Here we go. Getting close to home now, Chris. You go to Singapore. And what do you get? Food. <laughs> Food is, is nigh on a God. I'm not joking, correct? Food n- takes on nearly the nature of an idol within Singaporean society. But you know what? If you live there and you're born and bred there, you might not see it because you're so used to it but week after week in the church I was in there they would talk about that and they would try and get people to to back off that because I tell you what in here it says their God is their stomachs and it's not a joke I never seen people so focused they could talk about food all day I'm not interested in food <laughs> food is something you do because you have to eat or you'll die you know that they're fascinated with food it's a, it's a little bit of a principality there because people will miss church to go to eat right It's a problem, you know. And different cities in Ireland, there's an enormous amount of witchcraft. These are prevailing spirits. And Jesus would simply say to us, open your eyes and take a look. In fact, most people don't. That's the problem. Do you know why we have missionaries? Because locals so often miss it. Locals don't see what's on their own doorstep. They can't see it. They were brought up with it. I'm sure you all know the story of Chasing the Dragon, Jackie Pullinger. God takes Jackie Pollinger out of the UK, drags her halfway across the world to Hong Kong to open up a, 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 a church, right? Here she is, a single woman in the middle of Hong Kong. There's Pentecostal churches everywhere. What on earth do you want me to open up another church for? Answer. Because they're not doing their job. That's why. Because the locals weren't doing their job. They couldn't see the problem. There was a massive drug problem, actually. A huge heroin addiction in that place. And she began to deal with the principality. She began to take out the ringleader. And of course you know what happened. A, a great revival there. Believe me. Spirits are territorial. You look at Afghanistan. That's pretty blatant, isn't it? Again, that's drugs. That's where the vast majority of your European drugs come from. So you can look at this a thousand ways. And I'm sure you, 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 you've heard testimonies before of exactly that. I personally have seen a territorial spirit or a principality myself. I was called to a village, to a small village, to pray for that. They were having trouble breaking through, couldn't pull down the ringleader, didn't know what the problem was. They asked me to pray walk, and pray walk, I was there for about a year, working with them in evangelism. And one day, the elders called me together and said, you know, what have you seen? And I had seen something. I was walking down the village one day, I got to the end of this place where there had been no breakthrough, and in the air I saw a double-headed spirit thing. Hanging over a house in the corner of a little cul-de-sac. Don't not tell anybody. They'll think I'm crazy again, right? I didn't tell anybody. But I saw that thing, man. I saw like a double-headed something over a very specific house in the corner of a cul-de-sac at the end of the village. And I know what I saw. I was just too proud to tell anybody. So they poked and prodded at me. The elders in the church, what have you seen? What discernment have you got? And very reluctantly one day I said, well, actually, I saw this uh, double-headed spirit, you know. you know, you see them every day, don't you? <laughs> it was over, over the, the corner house in that. And I'm so glad I said that because their mouths fell open. And they told me something they'd never told me before. They had had a team of American intercessors in. The American intercessors walked the village and the only thing they had to report was that they had seen a double-headed spirit over the corner house in the cul-de-sac. The very thing, identical. And God was trying to say there's a principality blocking any movement in this village. And until you take down that ringleader, there will be no fruit. Who can take a strong man's possessions? You can't enter his house and see the lost get saved unless you first bind the strong man. And that was the lesson for that village, you see. These things are territorial. One day Jesus drove the demons out of a man who was possessed with many demons. And they went into a herd of pigs, remember? And one of the demons cried out to Jesus and said, Don't send us out of the... What? You don't know. (laughs) Don't send us out of the area. Surprising line in your Bible. The demons didn't want to leave the area. That was their zone. It was They were under a principality. And whatever was happening in the demonic realm, they didn't want to do that. You can take a lesson, folks, right through your Bible of how to win a city, how to win Glasgow. You can look at it in a multitude of ways. I think of New York City. Let's give you an example of a principality being dealt with and victory being the result. New York City. A young man called David Wilkerson comes there. Many years ago, very famous pastor. And he turns up, what does he do? He opens his eyes, and he looks at New York City. Do you know what he sees? Drugs. He sees heroin, cocaine, crack, cannabis. He sees that drugs and alcohol are the dominating, not gay men like Philadelphia, but in the case of New York, it was drugs. So do you know what David Wilkerson does with his church? He goes straight to the top. Straight to the ringleader. And he opens up an organization now world famous called Teen Challenge. He goes straight to the top, and then what happens? Revival. Teen Challenge spread throughout the world, and they take the fruit. Amen? Fantastic. Just simple biblical tactics. Tactics. Jesus did the same thing. So Satan approaches Jesus. Jesus goes straight to the top in the wilderness. It is written, it is written, it is written. Actually, it's quite, it's quite astonishing, around the world, the number of cities that are dominated by drugs. Do you know that? It's astonishing. It's frightening. Unbelievable. I never would have thought that that particular principality would ever have been so strong. But it is. They're at war in Mexico with the drug lords. At war in the whole army. They're going around running jeeps, man. This thing is a powerful principality. And see, who's seen the transformations videos? Trans, two sets of videos. I only saw the first one. But if I correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. There were seven cities that saw massive change in that first video. Every single one of them began by dealing with drugs. It was the testimony, it was the story of every city. Now, it's not going to be the story of every city around the world, but it just so happened, like David Wilkerson. In New York, those other cities also had a problem with drugs. In fact, you know, I recently was talking to Peter Chwakinara, who has a very successful church in Israel, in Jerusalem, where Jews and Arabs are born again, and they meet together. It's a world-famous little setting, and I was chatting to him about his success, and I was asking him to tell me about his genesis, about his beginning. How did you start in Israel, in Jerusalem? Guess what he said? (laughs) I opened up a center for drug addicts. I thought in Jerusalem, isn't there other issues to deal with in Jerusalem? No, that's what he did. Principality, see, there's no way of telling. You need to go and look at your city around the world, wherever you are. Take another look, open your eyes and take a look at your city and see what the principality is. See what the power is and then start to deal with that. Go straight to the top is what Jesus is saying, but we need to do that collectively and that's the last point. You learn to pray personally. We learn to pray as a church. And in 2 Chronicles, take a turn there please. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14. And This is where the church itself gets involved. Fantastic scripture, this one. 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14. If my people who are called by my name... Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. One of the sad things about scripture, guys, is that judgment begins with the house of God. And the saddest line in that whole thing, I don't know if you can see it, the saddest line is the first line If my people. And do you know what that's saying? It's saying when God looks as he's looking here at a city. He's looking at a country and it's, it's falling apart with war. They're in mayhem. And he doesn't look at the evil armies. He doesn't look at the devil. God says this, if my people. And he sees us as the answer to the chaos. And he's more or less saying, if only you would o- obey the tactics I'm giving you, if you like. Would humble yourselves, pray correctly then I would respond and I would heal that land. Judgment begins with the house of God. And so it is with Glasgow, you see. Very easy for us to point the finger out there and say it's all their fault. It's a dark city, it's a dark country and all this. But God doesn't see it that way. God begins in here. He says, if only my people, that's us, would humble themselves and pray. You know, the more pride we have in in us, the less we pray. Pride just killed. You won't feel you need to pray. If my people will humble themselves and start to pray and seek my face and repent of their wicked ways, never mind the lost. God comes in here, repent from your wicked ways. Then I will heal your land. Scripture says if I regard sin in my heart, God can't hear my If you regard iniquity in your heart, that's repentance. I get that iniquity out of my heart, that sin out of my heart. Then I will hear from heaven and heal your land. As we approach these last days, and this is the last of the last days, I pray that you get your act together personally in your own private prayer life. I pray that you learn about the armor of God, that you start to take an interest in politics, in ecology, in the economies of the world, and you become a true end times watcher, and that you see the seriousness of praying together as a church, maybe if you've never seen it before. There's a reason why that prayer you've prayed for 10 years on your own maybe hasn't been answered. It's because you haven't obeyed scriptural principles. Bring it to the house. One can put a thousand to flight, Two can put ten thousand, and maybe you're up against something at a higher level, and you're never broken through because you're keeping it out. Don't do that. Come and pray together, and collectively in the next all-nighter, actually, we're going to pray through these things, repent on behalf of the church, repent on behalf of the nation, and ask God to send great, great salvation across Scotland, across the UK, in these last days. I